Welcome to It's Lit Time with Dr. Tess. I'm Tess Martinez. I'm an English teacher. And on this podcast, we talk about anything that has a storyline from epic film trilogies to picture books. This is the show where literature gets lit. Hello, everyone. I'm back. Um, I actually got an email from Anchor, my podcast host, uh, a couple weeks ago that said, we miss your voice. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Thank you, Anchor. Um, So I'm glad to be back and uh, have some exciting episodes uh, lined up soon about Star Wars and The Lord of the Rings. Um, But today we are taking uh, a little bit of a different approach and we are looking at something a little bit smaller. We're looking at a story that I would say is still pretty epic in scale, um, but it's short. And, uh, you know, on my uh, intro for these episodes, I've been teasing the idea of doing um, a picture book episode ever since the beginning, and we haven't done one yet. So we're going to do that today. I am here with my wonderful dear friend and sister-in-law, Allison Stockslager, who has a degree in, um, I'm going to get this right, <laughs> a Master's of Fine Arts in Children's Literature with a focus on illustration. Yes, um, I have a, a certificate in illustration yes. for children. So she knows picture books, and she has done more thinking about picture books more than anyone I know in person. Um, and so I invited her here. We're actually at the beach, mm-hmm. looking out the window at the beautiful um, dune here in the Outer Banks in Kerala. And um, we're going to talk about where the wild things are today. So uh, where the wild things are is a text that I feel is kind of like has something in common with like Moby Dick and like even the Godfather movies that I think people know it more from memes and quotes and, you know, pictures than they actually know the text itself. So today we're going to be um, reading where the wild things are to you. Unfortunately, we can't show you the pictures. um, uh, So we encourage you to get a copy for yourself. And um, we're, but we're going to talk about the pictures and then we're going to do some analysis of it. And we're going to talk about why picture books are important and why they're worth your time. So let's start with, uh, well, I've been talking a lot. Would you, what would you like to say by way of introduction, Allison? Um, I think you introduced me well. Um, so why don't we just start by talking about what a picture book is? Okay. Um, so generally a picture book is written for children. Um, there are adult picture books out there, um, which is a really interesting um, genre to look at, um, or picture books that uh, I think they're marketed for children, but the maybe emotional um, tone of it is more geared towards adults and maybe nostalgia, maybe inspiration, that kind of thing. Um, like how you see the picture books that people will buy for people for their graduation mm-hmm. gift, that kind of thing. Um <clears throat> But um, so generally written for children, it's often in a large format, unless, for instance, it's a board book that's small, kind of made for infant hands. Um, And the major thing about the picture book is that the text and illustrations are going to be working together to tell the story. Um, So in its ideal form, there's this symbiosis between the text and the picture. Um, You're most likely not going to get all the information you need to truly, fully understand or appreciate the story. Um, if you're just looking at the pictures or if you're just reading the text. Um, So I have an example here. It has spoilers. Is that okay? Yeah. Spoilers are okay. I would say if the book's been out for longer than, you know, like a year, then people should have read it already. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I think this is a really great example because there's a very obvious joke in the illustrations that you're going to miss if you're just reading the story. And it's Mac Barnett and um, John Clausen's Sam and Dave Dig a Hole which I think is just hilarious 
it's about two boys who decide to just dig a hole in their backyard to see what they can find. And it's a cutaway that you're seeing of them digging and their dog is in the hole with them as well. So you can see the dirt all around them. And it's never mentioned in the text, but through the whole entire book, you see that there are these huge gems underground that they keep just barely missing every time they redirect their hole. Um, and so, and then there's a secondary gag of their dog kind of sniffing towards the gem, like their dog knows that it's there the whole time. Um, so in this example, like I said, you can read the story text and it is a complete story, but there is this ex extra information going on um, that a child, if you're sitting there reading it with them, is going to be seeing this and probably laughing at it or pointing at it, interacting with the characters potentially to say, you know, like you're missing this, uh, this big thing. Um, so the whole point here is that reading a picture book requires you to have a verbal literacy, uh, but also a visual literacy. Mm -hmm. And especially nowadays with social media, TikTok, comic books, graphic mm -hmm. novels, visual literacy is maybe more important than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, and you're not ever going to be too old for, for a picture book. Mm -hmm. um, I think teachers and maybe parents want to kind of with pride say that their children have moved on from picture mm -hmm. books um, because it's kind of like saying they've achieved this level of mastery in reading mm -hmm. that they don't need the picture book anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think what is often forgotten is that picture books are really sophisticated. They're a really yeah. sophisticated way of telling a story. And um, this probably isn't going to be news to anyone that's into graphic novels or comic right. books um, who know that those media can be really, um, really sophisticated. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can share. I just recently started reading comics really kind of for the first time in my life. Um, and it's, I mean, they're not... <laughs> It's not a completely foreign way of reading, but there are things that I have had to pick up on, like the conventions of like what the speech bubbles mean and how they all string together and in which order do you read a frame. And I've had to sometimes ask my husband for help because he has more experience reading comics. So yeah, it is sophisticated and it's not something that we all do naturally. And um, I'll just say I've had some students who will, when I ask them about their favorite stories, they'll mention comic books with kind of shame and say, like, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed. I wish I had had read more, mm. you know, other types of texts when I was in high school and that sort of thing. And I always try to tell them, like, don't be ashamed. That's uh, not only mm. is it becoming more of a, an accepted, quote unquote, legitimate form of reading, um, but like for all the reasons that you just said, it takes it takes skill um, to read those kinds of, of mm -hmm. media. Yeah, I yeah. know we're not talking about right. graphic novels, but graphic novels have um, really grown into this thing where um, you'll have kids who maybe they've been told they're too old for picture books. Mm -hmm. They pick up a graphic novel. There's some amazing ones out there. Um, like the March trilogy comes to mind. Mm -hmm. um, when I read that, I learned some things about the civil rights movement that mm -hmm. I never knew. I wasn't taught that in school. Right. Um, and it's beautiful. And um, you've got kids who are reading graphic novels that were never readers before. And now they're readers because they get to have that visual element along with the text that they're reading. Yeah. Um, so uh, the last thing I think that I want to share about um, just picture books in general is um, 
in my graduate program, uh, when we were writing picture book manuscripts, um, one of the things we were taught basically was to leave out descriptive details. It's really tempting to add those in yeah. when you don't have the pictures there yet. Um, but we were told you need to make room for the illustrator um, because the illustrator is going to include all that rich detail that you need, potentially even add to your manuscript in a way that you wouldn't have expected mm -hmm. um, with visual, visual details. Um, so you, as a picture book writer, kind of have to trust the illustrator that they are going to um, you know, show the, the blue sweater that you want your character yeah. to be wearing without you saying they're wearing a blue sweater unless it's really essential to the plot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be hard for me. Not only the restraint that would be required to hold back on some of the description, but also the trust, mm -hmm. like you said, it's, it's a collaborative form, but you're not necessarily working directly with your collaborator. Right. You're just trusting that they're going to do a good job interpreting it. And right. Usually they do. They do, yeah. So. And and uh, restraint is a really good way to put it um, because picture book manuscripts generally under a thousand for mm -hmm. sure, um, probably ideally under five hundred words. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really spare in your telling of the story, and you still want to get the whole story um, in there. And and many people, so many people, do that so well. Yeah. So, cool. um, okay. All right. So we're going to look at where the wild things are. Okay. So give us some background. Background. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, first of all, I'll say this is not my favorite picture book. I, I love it. <laughs> um, it's kind of the ubiquitous example of a very perfectly structured picture book. Sorry, do you have a favorite? Like, what is your favorite? You what is my favorite? <laughs> um, I mean, I have lots yeah. of favorites um, and lots that I, you know, maybe have a lot more fun looking at and mm -hmm. reading um, since we're at the beach. Um, one example, and I'm gonna probably forget the author's name, you unfortunately. <laughs> uh, if you want to see a whale, it is beautiful, and it's a very quiet picture book. Um, it's Julie Fogliano, I think, and um, I believe Aaron Stead is the illustrator, and that's one that I've always read and said, oh, if I could make a book like this, I would be satisfied forever. <laughs> yep. And you got the author and illustrated name um, exactly right. So that's one example of a favorite of mine. I tend to like those really quiet, kind of reflective um, mm -hmm. picture books. And this is not a quiet, reflective no. picture book. It is a wild picture <laughs> yes. book. Um, but it is, uh, it's it's gorgeously structured. It marks um, a really important kind of movement in picture books where um, authors and illustrators were beginning to very honestly acknowledge um, that children might have wildness in them, that um, their psychology is very complex, um, that they're not unformed creatures. They are humans that have as much emotion um, or maybe even more sometimes um, than adults. Yeah. So uh, published in 1963 by HarperCollins, um, the illustrations are done in pen and ink and um, I believe it's watercolor um, to add the color to it. Um, Ursula Nordstrom, who's a really well-known um, editor, picture book editor from that time, um, said it's the first American picture book for children to recognize that children have powerful emotions. Um, and it was a little bit controversial. I mean, I was afraid of this one when I was a kid a little bit. Um, I was interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But a little scared. Um, 
And uh, uh, one librarian even commented that it's not a book to be left where a sensitive child may come upon it at twilight. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a really interesting, um, they call it the HarperCollins 200th anniversary website um, author audio tour um, that has some brief background on Maurice Sendak um, and the origins of where the wild things are. I don't know if that's a link that you could put in yeah, show notes that. or something, mm -hmm. um, but I've got a link here that I can share. Um, and it won the Caldecott Medal in 1964. The Caldecott is the highest honor um, for American picture books. Um, it's an illustration award. Um, but obviously, since the illustrations tell so much of the story, it also has a lot to do with the story and the type of story that it is. Um, so as of 2017, which was um, the number that was in, I believe, that audio tour that I mentioned, um, it had sold 19 million copies. Wow. That was five years ago, so I'm yeah. sure it sold many, many more um, since then. Yeah. So... I think we should read it. Would you read like the to text. read it to us? All yes. right. Um, so I want to know also, uh, this book is 438 words long, um, and it is 10 sentences. So that's significantly shorter than even what you said earlier, mm -hmm. usually 1,000 words. Yeah, 1,000, yeah. ideally under 500. So yeah. we're kind of in that sweet spot yeah. with this text. All right. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another, his mother called him wild thing, and Max said, I'll eat you up. So he was sent to bed without eating anything. That very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around. And an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max. And he sailed off through night and day and in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. Till Max said, be still, and tamed them with the magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened and called him the most wild thing of all and made him king of all wild things. And now, cried Max, let the wild rumpus start. Now stop, Max said, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. But the wild things cried, oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And Max said, no. The wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws, but Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day and into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him and it was still hot. So I just want to point out where Allison paused there after Let the Wild Rumpus Start. That's, is it three? It's three spreads? full spreads uh, that are just illustration. Okay. And those are the ones that get turned into memes a lot. You know, <laughs> Max riding yeah. on the, the wild things and they're all just, you know, running through the forest and howling the moon. And all yeah. That. You see those images yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, there's one thing I want to point out before I forget. I really like, and I want to be really careful not to do the, what I like to call the, the poet society uh, fallacy, which is to be like that fictional 
textbook writer in the Dead Poets Society that boiled poetry down to a formula. Like, I hate that. And I did, when I taught children's literature, I remember one time one of my students had found an article about how this book is really about the id ego and the super ego and went through and like identified each thing. And I, I don't know, I feel like that you lost some of the, the real spirit of the book by doing that. So I want to be careful not to overanalyze it. However, I think I, I also want to show that, you know, you can analyze this. It holds up to analysis. It is a work of literature and art. So this is just a little thing, but I really like how at the beginning, Max yelled, I'll eat you up um, at his mom. And then towards the end, uh, when the wild things were trying to convince him to stay, they said, we'll eat you up. Mm -hmm. We love you so, um, which is kind of a clue that Max is really trying to tell his mom that he loves her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's actually, uh, there's a really fun anecdote about Maurice Sendak and one of his, his fans. Um, I probably won't get all the details um, completely correct, but um, basically he got, he always answered his letters. Um, I think he didn't love answering his letters. It was kind of a chore for him maybe, but um, he sent to this one little boy a drawing of, um, I think, one of the wild things. And um, later on, he received another letter from the mother. Um, and the mom basically said, um, a kid loved the drawing so much that he ate it. <laughs> and, um, and he said that was the highest compliment that he could possibly mm -hmm. receive, that his kid loved this drawing so much that he had to kind of take it into his body. He had to make it yeah. part of himself. He didn't care that this was an original Maurice Sendak illustration. <laughs> you know, it was kind of horrifying yeah. to me. It's like, if I had my hands on that, I would keep it in a safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but to him, that was a great compliment because it, it was an expression of love. Yes. <laughs> it's like our baby nephew Ezra who's here this weekend. He likes to eat his stuffed animals, and I think that just shows how much he loves them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do you want to talk about um, some of the some of the illustrations? Yeah. Do you want me to just kind of walk through the whole structure of the sure. book? Is that yeah. going to be too much? No. I'm okay. Um, yeah. So this book is structured so elegantly. Like um, you said, there's that kind of turn in the middle where you've got the three pages of just illustrations that kind of reflect the uh the beginning of the end of the book um they're not it's not exactly at the center but it's close to the center um on the very first page uh the night max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind that's the text um on the left hand side of the page just in white uh white space with the text and you've got this smallish framed illustration centered on the right page it takes up maybe a quarter of the space on the page and you've got max wearing his wolf costume um, I don't think we've mentioned that the whole book, he's wearing this wolf costume. He's got a big bushy tail and everything. And he's got this scowl on his face and he's nailing something into the wall. So, um, you know, we already have this idea of maybe this is an angry child, um, but it's kind of contained in this little box. And then on the next page, the illustration and another has grown just a little bit. Um, Max is chasing the dog down the stairs with a fork. Um, and there's a drawing actually of a wild thing on the wall, um, that says by Max. Um, then we move on. The illustration is still growing on the page on the, just the right hand side of the page, but it's still framed. It's still contained. Um, his mother called him wild thing and Max said, I'll eat you up. And he was sent to bed without eating anything. So Max is in his room. It's a very bare room. It doesn't look like a child's room. There's a bed, there's a window with the moon a plant on a table by the window and Max kind of has his hand on his hip and he's scowling at the door. Um, the next page, the very that very night in Max's room a forest grew 
The illustration has grown a little more, but we see there are trees growing in his bedroom. They've taken the place of the bedposts and the door frame. Um, and the trees, the leaves of the trees are actually breaking out of that rectangular frame of the photo. Next page, and grew, the, the forest is even more lush. It's breaking out of that frame even more. We've got maybe a quarter inch left on um, the margin of that right-hand page. So we're about to break over that um, gutter is what that middle part is called of the book. Who do you think Max is doing in that picture? Is he giggling to himself? I think he's laughing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Max is um, kind of in the center of this forest, and I think he's laughing to himself. Yeah. It's kind of this glee of, you know, this um, uh, transgressive mm -hmm. is a word that you'll hear a lot um, to describe books like this, um, this kind of transgressive thing that's happening. And mm -hmm. I think maybe he's taking responsibility for it a yeah. little bit. Like, this is me. This is my, my wildness yeah. that is bringing this out, but you can just barely see the outlines of the room. It's mostly trees now. Um, and now we have on the next page, and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around. We've got the illustration covering the whole right side page. There's no bedroom left. Um, Max is kind of doing a wild thing dance, um, just trees and the moon. And now on the next page, we begin to break the illustration over the gutter onto the left-hand page. Um, so we've got a tree that's making that bridge. Um, and then Max is in his boat on the ocean. An ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max, and he sailed off through night and day. And Max is actually, I think this is the first time that he's completely facing us hmm. as the audience. Let me just page back real quick. Yeah. He's looking directly at us. He's smiling. So he's kind of uh, found a little bit of peace, maybe, um, as he sails away. Um, so our illustration is continuing to cover more and more of the page on the on the next page. And in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are, um, we've got a wild thing, actually, uh, an ocean wild thing, <laughs> sea creature, on the uh, left-hand page. Max is beaching up onto an island and kind of looking in trepidation a little bit at this wild thing that is in the ocean facing him. And now this is a really big movement of the illustra illustration on the next page. Um, the text is actually just along the bottom of both pages with a strip of white and the illustration is covering the um, whole entire page all the way across except for that strip across the bottom. Um, so we've got all the wild things greeting Max in his boat, and he's kind of scowling at them. He, he looks, to me, he looks kind of parental, like I imagine his mom probably looked at him um, when she was scolding him. Um, and then on the next page, till Max said, be still and tame them with the magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once, and they were frightened and called him the most wild thing of all. That white strip of text along the bottom has gotten a little bit smaller, so our illustration is creeping downwards now, um, continuing to cover the page. Um, Max is kind of gesturing at the wild things, and they're all looking a little bit scared of him. Yeah. Can we talk about what the wild things look like? Sure. Because it looks like something <clears throat> that a child would make up. Like, they all have fur yep. and claws, but some of them have horns, and some of them have scales, and this one has bird feet. Duck feet, yeah. yeah. And that um, one just kind of looks like a 
well, kind of like a goat. And yeah. Also yeti. They're maybe. all very pointy. They've all yeah. they've all got these pointy teeth. They've got most of them claws. So that terrible claws thing is really coming out. And Max's, I've never actually um, thought about this before, but I just noticed Max's hands and feet have gotten more clawed. Oh. Um. <clears throat> Since the last illustration. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of remind me, and it's possible, I don't know this for sure, but it's possible Maurice Sendak took some inspiration from like medieval texts mm, yeah. with um, illuminations of yeah. monsters. I can see that. Yeah. That sort of conglomerated animal look that they have. Mm. Um, yeah. So on the next page, we've got the same um, layout of the illustration, but that white space along the bottom for the text has gotten pretty small, maybe an inch and a half. And made him king of all wild things. And now cried Max, let the wild rumpus start. And Max has got a scepter now in mm -hmm. his hand. He's sitting on top of like a hill, a little tiny hill, and they're all bowing to him and he's got a crown on his head. Um, so he has claimed his... Um, I don't know if you'd call it leadership or custodianship yeah. or just membership into this uh, set of wild things. This guy has um, human, human feet, feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but mostly they've got mm. claws. Yeah. Um, so now we have those three spreads where um, it's just just images, and this is the the wild rumpus. So we've got them kind of jumping, dancing, howling at the moon. We've got them swinging through the trees. These two wild things here on the right-hand side are having a little nonverbal conversation <laughs> with their eyes. They're looking right at each other. Um, and then the third one uh, is kind of a parade. We've got Max um, sitting on one of their shoulders, looking very regal, and they're all um, rumpusing along. <laughs> And then the text returns in that same layout as before those full um, page spread illustrations. Um, we've got maybe two inches of white space at the bottom with the illustration all the way across. Now stop, Max said, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. That's maybe the most text that we've seen on any one page in this whole book as well. Um, but the wild things, they're all sleeping in the woods. And we've got Max in a little tent. He's sitting on a stool with his head on his hand, looking kind of sad. It's hard to be the king. Yes. <laughs> On the next page, our, our white space for the text is growing. So this is the pattern that we're going to see as we're coming back into, I guess you'd say, civilization, is that there's more and more space for the text and less and less space for the image. Um, but the wild things cried, oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And Max said, no. The wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. But Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye. And we've got Max in his boat. Um, smiling and waving. He's happy to be leaving. We've got the wild things on the shore. And I think this is one of the pages that scared me as yeah. a kid because they all look angry. Yeah. They've got these angry eyes. To me, 
their faces don't say we love you so <laughs> um but that's one of those things where i don't know there's a tension there between yeah. the text and the image um that's pretty interesting and and you know they're a little scary yeah. <laughs> right here um okay so now we've moved back to that arrangement where the text is on the left hand side in the white space and the illustration is somewhat on the left hand side of the page there's a tree here and then max is in his boat on the right the right hand page and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day um and i think he's facing homeward now mm -hmm. um his eyes are closed he's still got those kind of large claws um, so I'm curious now, since that's the first time I've observed his, his hands like that, if his claws will be getting smaller. They're still a little large. <laughs> so the next page, we've got the illustration just now contained. Um, it covers the whole right-hand page, but it's only on the right-hand page. And into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him. So we're in his room just as it was before, um, the plant is on the table. I'm curious to see if the plant has grown. That's something I just thought about. I know. I was thinking about that, too, because mm -hmm. I thought maybe the plant would turn into the trees at the beginning, but it doesn't really. The plant has changed a little yeah. bit, but maybe not enough to say that we think a lot of time has passed. Right. Um, when he's traveling, it says he goes over a year. Mm -hmm. And when he's coming back, it says he goes over a year. So we're talking about at least two years of time supposedly have passed but it's this fantasy mm -hmm. so that time is not real maybe yeah. <laughs> um but his dinner is there he is for the first time pulling down his hood of his wolf costume and um kind of smiling contentedly and then the very last page no illustration and it was still hot Okay, so that's the structure of where the wild things are, and I hope all of you now want to go, if you haven't already gone and found a copy or looked up the, I wonder if you can find the illustrations online, maybe not in that order. Yeah, you probably can find the illustrations online, it's certainly yeah. available at the library. Yeah, so uh, if you haven't already looked it up, I hope you will go do that now and read this book with new appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, let's talk about the overall structure, what are your observations? Um, yeah, so not all picture books are going to have a structure that's this obvious. Um, but a lot of them do have that home away home mm -hmm. kind of structure. Um, it's, it's circular. It comes back around to where it was in the beginning, but there are some changes that have happened right. to um, maybe make things better. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of where the wild things are, we start the book with this anger and chaos. Um, Max is angry. His mom is angry at him. Um and then Max has this fantasy where he journeys to a place where he has this control over his life that he wants. Um, he's able to express his wildness. Um, but after he's able to give vent to that, he kind of realizes that maybe he misses, um, maybe he misses some structure. Maybe he misses um, not having to determine everything about his own life. He maybe misses not having to manage anyone else other than himself. Yeah. And maybe realizes it's not so bad <laughs> to just manage myself. Um, so he wants to be reunited then with um, someone who loves him unconditionally. Um, 
And I think he realizes that he has that unconditional love from his mother because he smells that food coming back to him. Food is such a powerful um, thing to use to convey emotion. Um, and the story ends with that sense of safety in the form of his dinner that's there waiting for him. And it's still hot. That that detail right there, I love. Yeah. Um, it indicates his security in his relationship with his mother. It indicates he hasn't been gone too long. Right. To, to kind of uh, like be redeemed back to that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really um, just kind of perfectly structured in yeah. that way. So it's a great example for that. Um, but you'll see that home away home thing yeah. a lot. Yeah, we used to talk about that when I taught literature classes. <laughs> um, that's not only common in picture books, but it's common in a lot of um, literature, I, I keep thinking about The Hobbit. I mean, you know, the subtitle of The Hobbit is there and back again. And so a lot of times we think of stories having to have this linear narrative where you're going from, um, you know, starting point to something better, or in the case of a tragedy, something worse. But in this case, you're going full circle, but it's not exactly the way it was before. Right, right. The character has changed. The place, you know, his situation might not have changed, but yeah. he's changed. And it's not a bad thing. I think stories like this show us that it's not a bad thing to... Um, return to the place that you were. There's nothing wrong with the place that you were. Um, that home is a good place, yeah. basically. You yeah. see that in The Hobbit, for sure. sure. Yeah. So, okay. So hopefully that gives you a little, uh, just a little bit of, of a taste of what picture books can accomplish. I mean, there's a lot there. And of course, you know, you're going to get different interpretations depending on who you read it with. You know, if you read it with a child, sometimes children can find things in the illustrations because they're not necessarily focused on the text that you might not have even noticed. So it's it's a lot of fun to do that. So um, for those who are interested in learning more about picture books and particularly Marie Sendak, what recommendations do you have? Um, one of the books that I was referencing that um, just kind of talks about the origin of where the wild things are, um, I'll tell one more quick little funny story mm-hmm. about Maurice Sendak. It started out being called Where the Wild Horses Are. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made this little book dummy. That's kind of the mock-up with um, rough illustrations to just kind of show what the book is going to look like. Um, and you can actually see pictures of that book dummy in this book that I was referencing. But it turned out he felt that he uh, couldn't draw horses mm-hmm. well. Um, and he was just mulling over, um, you know, what kind of creature is this going to be? What is the wild thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and he just kind of hit upon this wild thing yeah. and that kind of opened it up to a non-recognizable creature yeah. um, that I think maybe conveys more wildness. I can't imagine this book as horses. Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it would have been a very different story. Huh. Um, so lots of background information. Uh, the book is, uh, it's like a coffee table size book called The Art of Maureen Sendak and um, the, Where the Wild Things Are is just covered in one chapter of that. The author is Selma G. Lanes, um, and it was published in 2003. Um, And then another good article that you could find um, just for that concept of not being too old for picture books um, is a New York Times opinion piece by Pamela Paul. It's called Your Kids Aren't Too Old for Picture Books and Neither Are You. Mm -hmm. And I think that headline or title pretty much says it all. Um, But she has some good insights in that article as well. Great. 
I just had this thought and I'm going to throw it out here because it ties this episode back to our previous one, which is about Walt Disney World. Um, just the idea of having the wild things be not one particular creature, but having elements of lots of different creatures. I, I read and you can see it. It's obvious that that's how Disney um, animated the beast from Beauty and the Beast. You know, he kind of looks like a bear, but also he has horns and also he has tusks and all that kind of stuff. And he kind of looks like something out of a, a child's nightmare in a way or a child's drawing, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just yeah. interesting. I wonder if they took any inspiration from his book. They probably did, even if it was unconscious. Yeah, you know? that, that beastliness that isn't yeah. recognizable maybe a little more scary than, yeah. than something you could say, well, that's a horse. Yeah, for sure. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting that we're here where there's wild horses <laughs> yes. and Kerala, you know? Um, so, all right. Well, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Awesome. It's fun. Yeah. We'll have to do this again sometime. There are many, many picture books out there that we could talk about. So I had a hard time yes. narrowing it down yeah. to what we would talk about for this. For sure. So, yeah, stay tuned. We're going to have a Star Wars episode coming up next. So thank you so much for listening and uh, keep reading. <laughs>